1: Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks
2: so much for listening, everybody. Brian Kilmeade Joe, Raging Your Direction, Britt Hume in uh, in about a minute, Andy McCarthy coming up shortly. We're going to make heads or tails of the impeachment process and also talk about what type of things the president could be looking at in terms of challenges when he gets out of office, including the widespread threats against almost everybody that just worked for Donald Trump. Uh, They accomplished a lot, but it's being overwhelmed by how uh, the president's handled himself over the last six weeks and some of the things that have come down the pike. Since we'll discuss all that, the president's going to be out and about today. He's going to be talking about maybe some offensive against big tech who's going out to ban him. He's also going to go to the border in Texas and look at some of the 450 miles of wall, one of his many accomplishments over the last four years. Needs, they have enough financing for 720 miles to finish it. You need 1,400 miles. But, uh, but vice president, the vice, former vice president, the president-elect, will pay a stiff penalty just to not finish a wall that's already been budgeted because this is a contract. So let's get to the big three.
1: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three.
3: Number three. We simply cannot stay closed until the vaccine hits critical mass. The cost is too high. We must reopen the economy, but we must do it smartly and safely.
2: Here you go. Uh, Governor Cuomo sounding a lot like this guy named Donald Trump. Trump. Why can't we get? Why can't we? Why can't we wait for the vaccines? Why can't we go back to work? Donald Trump said that. King Cuomo should admit that he, the whole entire time he was doing political posturing, he knew he had to stay open like Florida and Texas, but he shut it down anyway.
4: Number two, Joe Biden should be excited about the fact that he's going to become the president next week, and should have a positive message. But he is he's he's a hypocrite. He says, oh, I want unity. But if you want to go forward with impeachment, you know, go ahead.
2: Uh, That, of course, is Senator Rick Scott. The idiocy of impeachment part two with days left before he's gone. The House is moving forward with a pocket rocket impeachment of Trump, who admits he did play a role, according to Kevin McCarthy, in the Capitol Mayhem last Wednesday. The question, if Biden is making it his personal theme to bring the country together, how does this help?
5: Number one More than a dozen Fortune 500 companies Have suspended all political donations And at least one Actually wants the money back from senators Who claim that Joe Biden's election Was a fraud A lot of
2: the high-tech and corporate chokehold Put on conservative Republicans over the last 72 hours Is massive, far-reaching And a true threat to our two-party system in America And no, it's not all about Trump It has to be stopped But the question is how Let's bring in Britt Hume. Britt, I can't believe the series of events that have taken place over the last uh, four days. I think he'll be with us shortly. And if you think about it, on Friday, turns out Twitter banned, Facebook banned, For Life, the president, as well as temporarily the presidential account. And then the president moved a lot of his followers over to Pauler and they put, brought Pauler to its knees. So Parler is now to its knees. Amazon has helped destroy that. The president is going to be speaking out against big tech now. I don't know how much power he has through executive orders. I'm not even sure what uh, the 240 uh, clause would actually do because they'll allow people to sue these big tech companies, which might lead to even more censorship. So that's going to be key. So how are they going to handle it? Now, think about this. You are the CEO of Parler, the founder. You're John Mates. And you find out that your uh, your company, your app, is number one in the App Store. And then you find out that Apple is banning you, Amazon is banning you, and you have to fight for your life to find a vendor to carry you. Here's John Mates, cut one.
6: What's really interesting is uh, that they all did it on the same day, those three. Without any prior warning, we woke up on Friday thinking, Business, well, not never business as usual, parlor, but at least as close to usual as possible.
4: We were number one on the App Store. We, we you know, we had seven million, almost seven million unique people on the app that day, um, and we get a notice. You know, you're in violation of our terms, one after another. But we found out first, in some cases, not from the companies, but from BuzzFeed. You know, we didn't get a notice from Google. We read it online in the news first, and uh, that is shocking. And then after they set that example, you know, we get an email after email. You know, it's almost like you were you just waiting. Who's going to be next?
2: Britt Hume joins us right now to put, try to put this all in perspective. Fox News is a senior political analyst. Hey, Britt, this is so beyond parlor. Uh When you freeze out the president as a Twitter follower and Facebook, it even got Angela Merkel's attention. Not exactly a fan of the president. It's a bad road we're on. Or am I overstating it?
7: No, I think you're right, Brian. I think this is dangerous business here in the sense that these uh, these companies um, that that Twitter, Facebook, uh, those that provide the support they need, to to wit, Amazon and other providers of servers and so on. Um, these are supposed to these these uh, programs, Twitter and the rest are supposed to be basically open forums, and that 's why they have protection from uh, legal risks that that actual publishers face, which is to say that you know they, if somebody posts a libelous comment on Twitter or Facebook or somewhere, um, the person who posted it can be sued for libel or slander, uh, but the platform cannot. So they enjoy these legal protections, and it's a good idea for them to have that, to, to, to make open forums even possible. Yeah. But, but, but at the same time, if they want to do that and pose as open platforms, they can't then be discriminating on the basis of content, which is what they're doing. Now, look, nobody is in favor of you know, exhortations to violence. Um, and you know, you take a, an app like Parler, which has you know now been basically shut down. It's very clear from from everything we we read about this that that Parler was making an earnest effort to try to keep up with the kind of content that no one would favor, which is to say, you know, out and out exhortations to violence and mayhem. Um, and and Amazon had signaled to them that that, that they were good with it. With the efforts they were making, and then suddenly, out of kind of out of nowhere, uh, they shut them down. So there's something, something obviously wrong here, and I think these big tech companies are are playing with fire because I think you know they have this regulation that protects them, uh, and there's a, there's a disposition in Congress in both parties to strip that away, which right. would basically be the end of them, which well, would be regrettable. But that's what they're that's what they're looking at if they're not careful.
2: So in layman's terms, this two thirty clause, if it was put into effect, it would it would allow people to sue Facebook and Twitter about what they're putting on them. So if someone's writing something about Brit Hume or me and or threatening violence, I could sue Facebook if this if this two thirty protection is eliminated. That right. might make it even more restrictive. Don't you think? Could you
7: see I do think it would be regrettable. On the other hand, um that's the that's where this kind of stuff is leading. So they would be, in effect, blowing themselves up, and you know, the whole idea of an open forum would be, would be gone. Now, look, I, one of the things that lies at the root of this is a distrust of the public. You know, The, the belief that if um, people are out there urging violence that, 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 that you know, large numbers of the public would then see fit to go ahead and do violence. I don't think that's the case. I think what happened last Wednesday was a relatively small number of absolutely criminal bent hoodlums um, uh, who destroyed property, broke into the Capitol, threatened people, killed a police officer. Um, But the majority of those people were just there to to protest. Most of them didn't come into the Capitol. So, you know, we need some perspective here, too.
2: I do think you're 100 percent right. So Tim Cook was on CBS this morning, and, uh, of course, he's uh, he runs Apple. Cut 16.
8: I think it's key that uh, people be held accountable for it. This is not something that should skate. This is something that we've got to be very serious about and understand and... Um, And then we need to move forward.
9: Do you think the president, President Trump, should be held accountable for it when you said people should be held accountable? There's a whole discussion about that even
4: as we sit here today.
8: I think no one is above the law. I mean, that's a great thing about our country. We're a rule of law country. I, I think everyone that had a part in it needs to be held accountable.
9: We're all told this as a little kid. There are consequences to your actions but I don't know how we just let this go.
8: I would agree. Uh, I don't think we should let it go. I think holding people accountable is, is important.
2: Well, that, that's fascinating because hundreds have been arrested. They're, the paces have been shown. Uh, the question is, they think the president, uh, that the president sent him in there to do it? Now, the president evidently told Kevin McCarthy yesterday, the minority leader in the House, that you know he does see his responsibility in some of this. Uh, And evidently they had a heated exchange about who actually did this. But you know, Britt, what I would love? If I could get a list of Antifa supporters that were banned, uh, Democrats who said things that were irresponsible, like Maxine Waters uh, comes to mind. And you hear about getting in the face and we should – Republicans should be challenged everywhere. I don't really see that on the other side. That's what people's real problem is.
7: Well, you also have Tim Cook talking about no one is above the law. Yeah. Well, what law are we talking about here? Um, the, you know, the claim is made that the president uh, fomented this, that he incited it. Now, I look. I hold the president responsible for the attitude that people had that the election was stolen, and he said absolutely outrageous, indeed preposterous things. The most recent example being his claim that Mike Pence had the legal authority to to block this uh, the, the Biden's election by uh, objecting and and refusing to certify or excuse me, refusing to actually to count and announce the, and announce the results. He had no such authority. It was false. Um, but it was just one of many things that the president said that was false. Now, if, you know, if you're an ordinary guy out in the country, and you're a Trump supporter, and you admire and, and believe in him, and he is telling you these things for a month, that the election was stolen and so on, I, and and you believe that, well, you might be inclined to do violence. So I don't think he deliberately incited it within the meaning of the law. But I think he was responsible for whipping up this, this frenzy that, that led to this. Now, that doesn't mean that, that, you know, that, uh, that he should be impeached and removed uh, from office because of it, for the simple reason that the overriding reason and primary reason for the impeachment uh, uh, power is to remove a faulty president from office. Well, he'll be gone before they, before they can get around to finishing that job. So it becomes pointless and simply vengeful.
2: Britt, his theme for the inauguration and what he said often, but not always, is how he wants to bridge the party gap. In fact, his theme for the inauguration for Joe Biden is America United. You cannot seriously go with that theme and not rein in Democratic leadership on this whole impeachment thing. I mean, you want to censure, you want to do this, but there is no time to impeach. That, and what a precedent this would be. Maybe a Republican's going to be upset when they get in power about a Democratic president that's going to naturalize all legal immigrants. Let's impeach him or her. I, I think it's a terrible trend for the country.
7: Well, I want, uh, it is manifestly clear that the one thing that, that an impeachment at this stage would not be is healing. And that is a, one of one of the major themes. Um, that would only add further to the bitterness. Now, it may be that behind the scenes, Brian, that that uh, Biden is quietly encouraging uh, Democratic leaders to back away from this. Um, but I don't, uh, I don't, uh, uh, I mean, uh, see that as a great sign of strength. It seems to me that that if he wanted to be a real leader on this, yes. he would simply get up and say. Um, let's call a halt to this, uh, let's move forward, and so on. But I think he's afraid to do that because because when it comes to dealing with the left wing of his party, which is the principal force here, um, he's weak.
2: I, uh, You know, I, there was a part of me who just hoped that, you know, at the age of 78 years old, everything he's accomplished with two brain aneurysms, uh, he probably is only a one-term guy even in the best scenario that he would just say, screw this, I want to get something done. I don't hate Republicans. I never have. I'm just going to bridge the gap. And that's why I actually think in the long run, maybe on some level, he was hoping that Georgia Senate race went differently. But if you want to talk about violence on the left, I just want people at home to understand, we're not just talking hypotheticals.
0: Cut, uh, cut 82. You cannot be civil with a political party that wants to destroy what you stand for, what you care about. You
2: see anybody from that cabinet in a restaurant, in a department store, at a gasoline
1: station. You get out and you create a crowd. And you push back on them.
2: And it goes on. I could go on for another, a minute. We don't have that much time left in the segment. But if they just started doing it on both sides, I think that would show, give a little credibility. Final thought about where this is going today?
7: Well, you know, you do begin to – you do think that there's some hope that the air will run out of this tire. And if they decide to uh, impeach the president and withhold the articles from the Senate uh, for 100 days while, while the president uh, tries to put his uh, principal agenda in place, uh, my guess is that after 100 days, um, with Trump by then long gone, that the appetite for doing this will be even less. And, of course and the chances of getting a two-thirds for a conviction um, would be would evaporate so you know it would end up going nowhere and I think properly be seen as an empty gesture as a stunt
2: right uh, when I saw Nancy Pelosi on Sunday she's not into getting things done she's into uh, vengeance in my humble opinion Britt thanks so much appreciate it
7: buddy good to talk
2: to you, Brian. All right. Same here, sir. Uh, we're going to take a short time out. I know you have a lot to say. one 866 408 We have an inauguration on Wednesday, a president exit probably on Tuesday. And the president, by the way, is in Texas today. We'll follow it all right here on the Brian
0: Kilmeade Show.
1: It's Brian Kilmeade.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system.
2: As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of.
1: breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. If they're trying to do it now, it's not going to
8: happen. He'll be out of office no matter what happens because Mitch does not going to take it up. Mitch is still the majority leader until the two new senators are sworn in. So Mitch doesn't have unanimous consent to bring it up, to take it up immediately so they can pass it tomorrow, the day after, send it over, and uh, Mitch won't take it up and basically until the 19th, and nothing would start until after Joe Biden is uh, sworn in as president.
2: I hope Joe Manchin continues to make sense like this. Be practical. I know you're a Democrat, but you come from a Republican state. You're a moderate. Please continue to make sense like that. Joe Manchin last night. Do not impeach the president. It no, it'll never come out to anything. It'll just going to anger people beyond, beyond your comprehension. Gary, listen, WVMT in Burlington, Vermont. Gary.
8: Hey, Brian. Hey, I don't think that the Democrats are going to follow through on this impeachment. I think they're going to try to muddy him up a little bit early on, but they can't be that crazy to follow through on this thing. You just imagine, because what they're going to do is they're going to say that this rally, he incited these people that went over to the Capitol, did all this stuff. Well, the president has got to defend himself. When he says they lied, he did all this stuff, all the things that they're accusing him of, he's going to bring these lawyers into the impeachment hearings that front of the Senate floor. You're going to have people like Seculo Bondi. You're going to have Alan Dershowitz defending the Constitution about the election fraud, about Hunter Biden, Bobulinski. All this stuff, it's all going to come out. Everything the Democrats have been trying to censor through social media, through the media, through the mainstream media, through the news, it's all going to come out. They can't go down that road. And the second reason is, which is just as important, is that they impeached President Trump for what Joe Biden did. So if, if they're going to go down that road again and make fools of themselves, how on earth are, is that House not going to be able to impeach Joe Biden for the very things that he actually did that he well, impeached President Trump over?
2: Well, uh, not exactly, but I know what you're saying. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. Andrew McCarthy will be with us shortly. We'll go to the legal end of this uh, and then hope people understand in Washington. This place is ready to blow. you got to calm it down, and impeachment will only heat it up.
10: Fox Nation presents Podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak.
11: I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, FoxNewsPodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts.
1: The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
12: Well, here's the tactic. What the Democrats want to do is simply impeach him. They can do that. All you need is to have the votes, the majority, and Hamilton warned against impeachment by simply having the majority. But they don't want to actually bring him to trial. They just want to have the accusation hanging over him. It would be like a prosecutor indicting somebody for a serious crime and then saying, but we're not going to give you a trial where you can prove your innocence. Some Democrats are saying, well, we'll give him a trial, but only after he's left office. But there's no jurisdiction. Congress doesn't have the power to try anybody unless they're in office.
2: Yeah, and Alan Dershowitz has volunteered to help the president. The president has not called him back. Rudy Giuliani is fighting to prevent disbarment in New York, but he'll probably be there. Uh, and I think Pat Siplione will be there, too. I'm not sure if the president actually needs an attorney and they go ahead with impeachment tomorrow. Andy McCarthy wrote a book all about impeachment of the president, It's called "Ball of Clusion: The Plot to Rig an Election and Destroy a Presidency." That was more about the Mueller report. But as you're doing your book tour, Andy McCarthy, out comes the Ukraine story. So you had everything at once.
9: Yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's really, you know, it, it's funny, Brian. I I uh, did a podcast at National Review right before I went on, right before Christmas, and uh, Rich Lowry and I were talking about. Well, by the time we get back after New Year's, this will all be
2: behind us. <laughs> yes, not close. Sure. Um, yeah, not close. So um, so they're going to so, move but, ahead you know, look, with I articles Alan, of impeachment. Do you like the, these articles? Are they effective articles of impeachment?
9: No, I think, you know, this is really terrible because putting aside uh, Alan Dershowitz's objection, which I, I'm not in his camp. I'm in the camp that thinks that you can impeach somebody after they're out of office. But I think his arguments are very— it's It's a strong one um, I just don't um, doesn't persuade me, but it's a close call um, but first and foremost, if you 're going to do impeachment, I think it has to be real impeachment. so what we have here is a politicized document no kidding there's absolutely no i mean inciting insurrection that's not you know we have a situation, Brian, where people on both sides of the aisle Are repulsed by what happened last Wednesday and the president's role in it. It should be a very simple thing in a way that defends the Constitution to write the president's misconduct in a way that accurately describes it. But by calling it incitement to insurrection, the Democrats, first of all, are introducing. A legal issue about whether this is really incitement or not—it doesn't come close to qualifying as incitement. Uh, I tried an incitement case, so I know um, it doesn't come close to trying uh, to establishing the federal crime of incitement to a crime of violence. Uh, now, you don't have to have all the qualifications for a crime and an impeachment, but it introduces an unnecessary legal issue, and then even worse, insurrection. You know, these are the same Democrats who told us the rioting that we had all late spring and summer was peaceful protest and an uprising, and they got all hot and bothered when the president uh, threatened to invoke the Insurrection Act to quell the violence because they said that was utterly inappropriate. Now, suddenly, they think this is an insurrection, and the only difference is these are their political adversaries rather than people they like. So they're politicizing the notion of what an insurrection is. And there's a causation problem, because you can easily agree that the president wanted thousands of people to march on the Capitol and scream things like stop the steal and all that other nonsense. That doesn't mean he wanted them to storm the Capitol and he wanted people to get killed. And and that's ridiculous. So why do this in the way of describing it as incitement to insurrection when that's only going to prompt a lot of legal And political wrangling under circumstances where you could easily get bipartisan agreement on what happened here that's number one and number two this whole idea is dershowitz was just the clip that you played from him what he was just explaining this is not impeachment it's a game pelosi is saying let's have the vote on one day because it's so urgent we can't have all the due process we've always said was necessary in an impeachment investigation But then the urgency isn't so much that we need a Senate trial. So what she's going to do is stick the uh, article of impeachment in her back pocket, not appoint uh, impeachment managers, not send it to the Senate where the rules would require a prompt trial. And then they'll wait maybe till May, maybe after that at some politically opportune time when it's good for Biden and Schumer and the rest of them uh, to suddenly conduct a trial. So that's that's a political exercise. It's a
2: stunt. That's not an impeachment. And plus he's not gonna get to not gonna you know, it doesn't seem like he's gonna get sixty seven votes, right? You need two thirds, correct? Well, I don't your
9: chance of, yes, you do need two thirds in the Senate, not in the House, but your chance of getting two thirds in the Senate if it's an obvious political game yeah. rather than if you, were, if you were actually in good faith saying we need to do this urgently because the Constitution needs to be upheld because the president undermined our electoral process and aided and abetted what turned out to be an attack on the people's house uh, and the people's representatives doing the people's business. Um, I, I, I couldn't object to that if it was described accurately, and if you said we need to do it instantly because this cries out for condemnation, okay, well, fine, they're they're running the House, they got elected, they're entitled to do that, but then do it for real, you know, do it urgently in the House and then get it right over to the Senate for a trial.
2: Right. Andy, so Chuck Schumer said... Well, they're not going to get this case from the House, assuming they say he's impeached in the House with a simple majority. They're going to get until January 19th. The president, the new president's inaugurated January 20th. He'll be at Mar-a-Lago if after Joe Biden decides, gives the green light to his caucus if they need it, to go ahead and do the impeachment. While we're in the middle of a pandemic, can't get the vaccines out. uh, We have myriad of threats and the president, this new president wants to talk about bringing America together. It doesn't seem to make sense. But Chuck Schumer's got a plan. He's reportedly exploring using a resolution in 2004 to reconvene the Senate in times of emergency to allow for a potential trial immediately after articles of impeachment are sent to the Senate, which would be on Thursday. I understand that that would need Mitch McConnell to sign off on it. What can you tell me about this?
9: Well, I you know, number one, I don't think he's, I don't think he's going to be able to do it, as I understand the rules. Because the Senate is in recess, you need unanimous consent to get them back uh, in order. Which means if any one senator objects to it, they're not going to be back until the 19th. Um, I, I actually don't object to Schumer at least acting like this is urgent, because if you again, if you're going to have Uh, if you're going to try to rationalize doing a no-due process impeachment in the House, your only rationale for doing that is that there's an urgency here. And, you know, I think this episode, Brian, demonstrates that we have a hole in our law that we actually have to address. I think we should address it outside the context of Trump. But, you know, with the 25th Amendment, if you have a president who's stricken with some terrible medical crisis, like it's a stroke or an assassination attempt or something, um, we have a way to immediately get the president out of office. But you can't do that for misconduct. The only thing we have is impeachment, which is a process and takes time. And what I've been wrestling with for, for the last several days is, what if you woke up tomorrow morning and it turned out the president was a Russian spy? Like you had um, – not, not Trump, just some president and you have smoking gun, undeniable evidence. Under those circumstances, you can't say, well, in two weeks, we're gonna get him out of here. You need to get him out in 10 minutes, right? And it's one thing to say we wanna have due process. It's quite a different thing, uh, as Justice Jackson uh, said famously, You know, the Constitution's not a suicide pact. The most important thing is always the national security of the United States, and we wanna give the president as much due process as the circumstances will allow. Mm -hmm. But if you had an emergency, like you had someone who was working with the enemy inhabiting the Oval Office, your obligation would be to get them out of there, not give them a, you know, as much due process as it took to have a eight week trial. Right. So, you know, but I think mm -hmm. if they're going to act urgently, there really has to be urgency and there's not urgency here. If there were, she wouldn't have gone home. You know, the House wouldn't have gone home on Thursday. You, of course. You know? I've never seen a national security crisis where they said, we're, we're in a crisis. And as soon as we get back from the weekend, we're going to have to deal with it. You know, I'm, really?
2: Yeah. So well, let's talk about another important legal issue, and that is uh, free speech. Angela Merkel and uh, Emmanuel Macron, France, agree on one thing. Uh, The president, they've had an up and down relationship to be kind with each other, but they are really concerned about these big tech silencing him and banning him from life from Twitter and Facebook and everywhere else. Are you?
9: I am. um, And I'm even more concerned that we're going to do something that's going to ultimately hurt free speech in reaction to it. I I, I think I wrote something about this a while back, Brian. I, I think. Section two hundred and thirty is a problem, which is how we regulate these. Uh, well, that's—I I should correct myself. We don't regulate them. That's a—that's a misunderstanding. Everybody thinks that you know we have this big regulatory scheme on these uh, big tech companies. Um, we don't. We have uh, a legal privilege that they are allowed uh, to avoid lawsuits. Right. But in order to avoid it, they have to be an interactive computer platform that invites all voices to participate equally and doesn't do politicized content discrimination. And where these guys fall off the map is they're obviously left-wing websites that are pretending to be interactive computer services. There's nothing wrong with being a left-wing website. I work for a conservative website. But the thing is, I'm subject, you know, we're subject to lawsuit if we don't, you know, if we libel people or if we do, you know, all the things that you can be sued over. And they're not. They shouldn't have that privilege if they're going to engage right. in content discrimination. If you want to be a, a, a platform, then you can't discriminate based on your politics. If you want to discriminate on your politics, that's fine, but then you don't you, you shouldn't get a legal privilege against lawsuits.
2: Thank you. Parler got shelved by destroyed by Apple and Amazon and Google, all combined to deny them a right to ex- a a way to exist. So they have filed a lawsuit against Amazon, accusing the company of an antitrust violation after they were cut from its web services. Parler went uh, dark early Monday morning. The suspension is apparently motivated by a political animus, according to Parler, uh, and that uh, and they are temporary there, which is seeking a temporary restraining order, as well as damages in the wake of Capitol, the Capitol riot, Amazon, as well as Apple and Google have all contended that this micro blogging site encourages or incites violence. So they're suing. But could they get crushed or dragged through the mud, lengthen this trial where it's not going to matter? Because they're, they're basically their attorneys quit hours after they filed the lawsuit.
6: Yeah,
9: well, that's – you know, look, it's a big problem. We saw it in connection with uh, President Trump's lawsuits during the election. I didn't think the lawsuits were very colorable, but the idea that people were putting pressure on lawyers just because they were willing to represent the president of the United States was unbelievable. I mean, when, when these guys thought that – when al-Qaeda guys were being held as enemy combatants at Guantanamo Bay, there was a line of lawyers from Cuba to New York City – of lawyers who were willing to, for free, represent America's enemies at Guantanamo, (laughs) because they said, our system demands that everybody has the right to counsel, which isn't even true, by the way, outside the criminal context. But be that as it may, why it was necessary for terrorist enemies of the United States to be represented by counsel, and no one was supposed to criticize any lawyer who volunteered his services to the enemies of the United States at wartime, But it's okay to harass people for representing Parler or for representing Trump? Really? I I mean, that's insane.
2: So how much money are they going to need in order to fight Amazon?
9: A lot of money. You know, that's part of the the problem in the system. It's also, Brian, it's the problem for every defendant who has to fight the Justice Department and its $30 billion budget. You know, there's not an equal... Playing field That's just a, a fact of life. But at the same time, um, I, I think they'll ultimately be lawyers who are good lawyers who are willing to take that case. But they're going to need, you know, look, when you're going after somebody with a lot of resources, um, you know, it, it's, a, it's an uphill fight.
2: All right, Andy, uh, we're going to be tapping to you a lot uh, these last few weeks, sadly, uh, these last few days of the President Trump's administration. Andrew McCarthy, thank you. Thanks, Brian. Uh, you always pick up his column online, Andrew McCarthy, uh, and McCarthy, why Democrats need a do-over on their impeachment article. Uh, Brian Kilmeade, waiting for your call, one That's next.
1: Expanding your knowledge base, it's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download
10: and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum, the host of The Story on Fox News Channel, sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.
1: The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
3: We simply cannot stay closed until the vaccine hits critical mass. The cost is too high. We must reopen the economy, but we must do it smartly and safely. Do you believe this guy? Is he reading Donald Trump's teleprompter? That's
2: exactly what we've been saying really since April of 2020. Well, we gotta be safe. We gotta do this. You better do that, or you're gonna get fined. I have health inspectors out here to make sure you're complying. $100,000 of hospitals who don't use vaccines. We simply can't wait for the vaccines to get everywhere, to get critical mass, to get herd immunity. No kidding. So today, if you meant what you said, by the way, total hypocrite political animal, but if you meant what you said today, indoor dining would be back. Spread them out, plexiglass it up, it's in. Like it's happening in Long Island, like it's happening in upstate, like it's happening in all over Florida, most of Texas, uh, I believe Indiana, they're finding a way to eat indoors in the winter. Can you imagine And work out with weights in a health club. Can you picture? Come on a train, spread out. That could happen. Incentivize businesses to come back. Subsidize subsidize the testing, perhaps, like we're doing at Fox. Unbelievable. So we have idiots in Washington focusing on impeaching a president that's leaving in six days. And then governors... Finally, revealing themselves as political animals. We're putting us second. Ben, listen on WOKV in Jacksonville. Ben.
6: Good morning, Patriot.
2: What's on your mind, Ben? Thank you.
6: Andy McCarthy's analysis was spot on. I'm curious. Just my mind was wandering to a hypothetical. What if, because of the current action on the Democratic Party for impeachment? <laughs> what if? the Hunter Biden investigation proceeds and we find a direct connection with Joe Biden and the Communist Party of China,
7: would we be facing from your political
6: expertise the possibility of another impeachment?
2: Well, you would need a Speaker McCarthy, likely, and McCarthy has got to have the mindset of Pelosi, politics first, not people. And they got to go see, let's say Joe Biden was doing something really unsavory with China, the Ukraine... Uh, the Moscow mayor, Kazakhstan, just like it was rumored that Tony Bobulinski mentioned. And it's all revealed in that laptop and it's empirical evidence. Kevin McCarthy would have to bring that to Congress. Make sure it is urgency. Make sure it applies. And then make sure that he has the votes in the Senate, which we know he never is going to have. We're never going to have 67 votes with just uh, one party. But it's got to be so overwhelming that they got to go. But guess what happens? If it's really bad. And McCarthy brings it forward. We have a three-month distraction. And like Clinton and like Trump, something cataclysmic will be taking place, and we will have our focus on the wrong thing. For Clinton, it was al-Qaeda. For the president, it was the pandemic. Just wait what other crisis Biden will be dealing with and distracted from. So I think about the country first. I hope no more impeachments.
10: From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Dominich, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country
6: and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Dominich Podcasts.
10: Subscribe and listen now by going to FoxNewsPodcasts.com.
1: From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmead.
2: Thanks so much for listening. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Heard in New York City, uh, and that's where we're located, but heard around the country, heard around the world. This hour, we're going to be joined by New York legend Darryl Strawberry. Uh, he's had his bouts with, uh, with substance abuse. He had his uh, uh, bouts in his personal life. His talent is un- indisputable as he wins, uh, I think, four World Series titles. But what he's done to turn his life around, he wants to share with you, is called Turn Your Season Around, and he's going to be joining us at the bottom of the hour. It's always great to talk to him. And Stuart Varney uh, will do a simulcast. We'll share each other's audiences, if that's okay. We'll go on the number one and fastest-growing station in all of cable, the FBN. And Stuart Varney will be simulcasting with us. And we're also going to be uh, taking your calls, one The President of the United States shortly is uh, going to be hopping on Marine One. Actually, just did. He was scheduled to depart Marine 1. I imagine it happened already. And he'll be heading down on Air Force One uh, to Valley International Airport in Texas, where he's going to be visiting the border wall. We got 450 miles built. There's enough money for 720. My hope is the president of the United States, uh, the new one, will do this. Because there are penalties to pay for not. Contracts are signed. And, Mr. President-elect, it helps the country to secure the border and eliminates an obstacle, pun intended, and getting some type of comprehensive immigration reform. So let's get to the big three.
1: Now with the stories you need to know,
3: it's Brian's
1: Big Three.
3: Number three. We simply cannot stay closed until the vaccine hits critical mass. The cost is too high. We must reopen the economy, but we must do it smartly and safely.
2: Uh, Yeah, we can't wait for the vaccine. We have to get back to work. Who does that sound like? Donald Trump, right? Now it's King Cuomo. More proof it's all about policy, not people, and it's never been anything but. The kingdom of New York has been held hostage by a Democrat who wants a Democratic president, and all of us had suffered. The economy has faltered. It has gone on hiatus. Nobody has left. No no state has lost more people than New York, and now we know he was playing politics.
4: Number two, Joe Biden should be excited about the fact that he's going to become the president next week and should have a positive message. But he is he's he's a hypocrite. He says, oh, I want unity. But if you want to go forward with
2: impeachment, you know, go ahead. Uh, Yeah. Rick Scott, who's running the Senate, uh, the Senate Republican Committee, the Idiocy of Impeachment Part 2. With days left before he's gone, the House is moving forward with the pocket rocket impeachment of Trump, who admits he did play a role, by the way, in the Capitol Mayhem last Wednesday. Uh, the question, if Biden is making it his personal theme to bring the country together, how does this help?
5: Number one. More than a dozen Fortune 500 companies have suspended all political donations, and at least one actually wants the money back from senators who claim that Joe Biden's election... Was a fraud. Is this incredible?
2: The high tech and corporate chokehold put on conservative Republicans over the last seventy two hours is massive. It is far reaching and a true threat to our two party system in America. And no, it's not all about Trump. It has to be stopped, but how? And I bring two examples. People want to say, well, Donald Trump has done this. If Donald Trump didn't make that speech and didn't say that have that march, uh, this wouldn't have happened. If he didn't make the speech and he didn't say do the march, I guess technically you're right. And if he didn't do his event in Georgia, if he didn't come out, uh, it wouldn't have been as close. If he didn't come out and attack the Republican governor, would the Senate have gone Democrat in Georgia? Probably not. I mean, I could say that over and over again. But he never said go by the barriers. He never said go in and attack. But I never would have said what he said. I don't think it was ever a good idea. In fact, I believe I said on Monday of last week, why is he scheduling a rally the day of the Electoral College is going to be gaveled in to, uh, to be made official? Is going to be anarchy. And so many people wrote me, how dare you say anarchy? Uh, you know, Why would you predict that? It's just going to be a rally. I thought, well, it's kind of weird. Because inside, they're going to be gaveling in a Democratic president-elect. And on the outside, it's going to be crazy. It fractured the relationship between the vice president and president. They spoke for the first time last night in a week president never called to see how he was doing said he lacked courage because he didn't stand up to do what he was constitutionally contracted to do so i think the president was wrong on that i think the vice president was 100% right i'm glad they are speaking uh, right now but i'm more concerned about that twitter and facebook took the president down forever and then when he went on to parlor they took parlor down it's just a it's a website most conservatives gone there it's an alternative it was emerging it was the number one app Period, And then it was taken down because they said some exact uh, some uh, some inflammatory rhetoric on there. So the C, uh, the, the chief policy officer, Amy Pykoff, was on with Sean Hannity's television show last night. They've destroyed the whole company. Amazon is combined with Google and Apple to absolutely bring it to its knees. They are suing. Uh, they filed a lawsuit to Amazon accusing the company of an antitrust violation. Uh, quote, it's apparently motivated by political animus, according to Parler. That's what they're saying. In the wake of the Capitol riot, Amazon, as well as Apple and Google, have contended the micro blogging site encourages or incites violence. Really? Nothing's different from Twitter, believe me. Here's
11: Amy, cut four. You know, there is a difference, of course, between so-called hate speech that would otherwise be protected by the First Amendment and speech that incites violence or threatens, which is not protected by the First Amendment. So, of course, we want to remove it. And so we agree with Apple and Amazon that it is desirable to remove it. What we disagreed about was whether the first resort, and especially it wouldn't be any resort for us in a normal situation, would be to subject people to 24-7 surveillance, to doing all of the data mining that the other platforms do. That was not part of our monetization model. Uh, We think surveillance is contrary to the spirit of the Fourth Amendment. If you have particularized suspicion about somebody, that's when you surveil. That's when you get information about them, have a search warrant, et cetera.
2: Hmm. So they're fighting, and I hope they win, Uh, but they can't do the infrastructure and the cloud structure to get something up and running quickly. Amazon has made sure that they're the biggest, I think, in the world. And then you have Google who buys YouTube, and you have Facebook who buys everything, including Instagram, and they just eat up their competition, and they get some like-minded people, and next thing you know, they got themselves a monopoly. But these to have, well— it's a monopoly. They're big and they're successful. But Apple and Google are competing. You know the Android and the Apple phone, the iPhone. Yeah, but now when it comes to competitors, they combine forces to kill competitors. And right now, competitors are Republicans. Remember, in 2016, it was. Brad Parscale, who was able to utilize his uh, Facebook and social media and micro-targeting in order to beat Hillary Clinton in a way in which he was totally shocked by. And they felt humiliated that Silicon Valley provided the, a lot of the reason that Donald Trump won. So, man, they overcompensated, wouldn't you think, in a way that I think is uh, immoral and I believe that it's going to prove to be illegal and unlawful. So you want another example? So it's not just about Parler. This is all happening at once. Rumble is another engine. It's another site that's growing. And it turns out it's a competitor of YouTube. So here's Chris Pavlosky on Tucker last night. He's suing too, cut five.
4: In our complaint, what we're alleging is that Google is self-preferencing YouTube in their search engine. And they're also pre-installing the YouTube app on all the Google devices. And specifically and uniquely within the complaint, and is very unique to, to us, is that we were able to uh, show that Google has redirected about 9.3, up to 9.3 billion visitors from uh, to YouTube instead of having it to Rumble. If those visitors had landed on Rumble.com, we would have generated over 100 million uploads on our platform, which would have resulted in damages well above in excess of $2 billion.
2: What I hope is... Is it Democrats going to see the problem here? This is all part of the cancel culture, but now we got this the micro surveillance, macro micro surveillance. Uh, on Facebook, you post this, you're canceled. Uh, Twitter, you post this, you're canceled. Are you listening on a phone call? You're canceled. And these companies have gotten so big and have agreed on one thing, we'll compete, but now we'll compete with each other, and we won't let anybody else play this game. And if along the way we have to eliminate all Republicans, we'll do it. They're not even playing the game semi-correctly. Now they have corporations. Even Forbes magazine went out of their way and said anybody who worked for Donald Trump and gets hired by an organization, we assume that organization is is, uh, is going to be lying about their product and their company because all Donald Trump's people are as liars. Now, I'm f- curious if Steve Forbes even knows this. And then you have all these other corporations that will not, no longer give to Republican causes because of what happened Wednesday. Now, because of what happened Wednesday, it seems like mostly Trump supporters did a horrific act, and it could have even been worse. The more I hear about it, the more horrified I am. I never thought it was a good idea to have the rally. Never thought it was a good idea to have the march. Never thought it was a good idea to have the vice president pressured. But I never thought the violence would happen. And guess what? Either did the Capitol Police, although the police chief says now we want to reinforcements. But most people know these Donald Trump rallies don't get violent unless some other anti-Trump rally goes the other direction. And to be honest, I always see the Donald Trump people getting beat up anyway. When this was happening, I texted somebody very close to the president and they said they don't think it's their people. I don't think they thought it was their people either, but it is. Now, just how how crazy it is. These people that did this—they're the same people harassing Lindsey Graham, Tom Cotton, Michael Waltz because they broke with the president and didn't back up his push to not honor the Electoral College. When you're harassing other Republicans who have been 99.9 percent with Donald Trump, that's how dangerous this has gotten. It's nuts. But also, what's happening with big tech is nuts. When Emmanuel Macron of France, when Angela Merkel of Germany say, I don't like what's happening in America, please pay attention. I'll take a timeout. out. 408 7669 A lot of people during the pandemic uh, have fallen into addiction. There's been suicides going through the roof. And I hate to tell you, some of this is understanding. Your life has lost meaning. Your business has gone belly up. Family, uh, f- uh, family around each other at this length is, uh, has frayed ties. And that's when addiction comes into play. Daryl Strawberry, in the zenith of his life, he had addiction issues almost his entire youth. Yet he was still Ill, was on the borderline Hall of Fame player. He wants to share what he learned along the way to keep you from doing what he's doing, uh, did in the past, and get him where and get him where he is right now. Still beloved. By the way, uh, him and Donald Trump get along great. Uh, Varney and company right after that. So I'll take your calls next. 1-866-408-7669.
1: Honest commentary. Unique opinions no agenda it's brian kilmeade it's the hammer time podcast fox news channel's bill hammer takes you
10: one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day find hammer time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com america's listening to fox news
1: He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade.
13: You know, we live in this cancel culture of people erring and doing wrong, either on purpose or by accident. There's less forgiveness in our world. I think we're unfortunately in a coarser environment. I think our societies have become harder and less um, understanding, less tolerant, less forgiving. And, and I, I my question today was, where does forgiveness live in our society? Where can we accept someone's behavior if they are contrite, if they are apologetic and take responsibility? Isn't it, isn't it possible that, that forgiveness plays a part in that?
2: I mean, I think he's talking about the Matt Lowers of the World, perhaps. Uh that is, you know, Al Franken, perhaps. The ones that got caught up in scandals, Brian. Um, you know, uh, the um the the many people that got caught up in different scandals. But in terms of uh, forgiveness, I, I don't, you know, it's not up to us if they if someone, for example, Mel Gibson got caught up in this horrible situation where he was drinking too much, said some horrible anti Semitic remarks. These guys back in movies. So, you know, certain people get over it. You know, this accusation on Sylvester Stallone, he's back in movies. But in terms of uh forgiveness, I think Brian Cranston should understand one thing that it, there's a lot of people who don't want forgiveness because they bo- they're conservatives. You know, you have uh John Voight is a conservative, he still happens to be a great actor, he's not going to apologize. I just think you should stop canceling people because they don't agree with you politically or they're different uh, you know, or or their religion or things to that nature. Um I just think people have to be tolerant of different beliefs. Can that person be a good actor and actress and actually have voted for Donald Trump or George Bush? That seems to be the cancel situation. I'm not saying Brian Cranston does that, but somebody's doing that. Mike, listen, to FM News Talk, 97.1, St. Louis.
9: Hey, Brian, how you doing?
2: Hey, what's on your mind?
9: Hey, so I actually called in Friday. I felt what I had to say fit in the conversation a little better, but I think it fits at any point in time. I believe that when Joe Biden becomes president, all of their their, um, agendas will be implemented, which is going to hurt our economy. I personally think bad things are coming ahead. Um, The Green New Deal, taxes, it's going to shutter businesses. They're going to move to other countries. Um, Unemployment's going to go up. Stock market's going to go down. I don't see Personally, I don't see a lot of good coming from this administration, and it's going to have a negative effect for a long time to come.
2: We understand, by the way, standby, because Donald Trump has spoken on his way. He was on Marine One, flying to Air Force One, flying to Texas. I understand he did stop and say a few things. We're waiting on that tape. That used to be commonplace. It hasn't been much uh, since he lost. In fact, I still think I'm the only one to interview him face-to-face since he uh, lost the election. And he does not feel he lost, by the way. That's that's pretty clear. Jim, uh, I, everything you said, that's what he ran on. Spending. When when Joe Biden talks about addressing the pandemic, I want $2,000 to everyone. The first thing I'd be... Okay, let, let's hear Donald Trump. He's just spoken. The
12: expansion underway. It's been tremendously successful, far beyond what anyone thought. We're stopping in large numbers. The drugs coming into the country for many, many years and decades. Uh, We're stopping a lot of illegal immigration. Our numbers have been very good. There does seem to be a surge now because people are coming up. Some caravans are starting to form because they think there's going to be uh, a lot in it for them if they're able to get through, but we're able to stop it. The wall has made a tremendous difference. I think some of you are coming with me, but the wall has made a tremendous difference on the southern border. Uh, As far as this is concerned, we want no violence, never violence. We want absolutely no violence. And on the impeachment, it's really a continuation of the greatest witch hunt in the history of politics. It's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. This impeachment is causing tremendous anger. And you're doing it, and it's really a terrible thing that they're doing. nancy pelosi and chuck schumer to continue on this path i think it's causing tremendous danger to our country and it's causing tremendous anger i want no violence thank you very much thank you everybody
2: so the president made that clear he wants no violence also that would have been about he probably would have tweeted 20 times since this whole thing started so and he does have a good point what's different what's different about this well, the difference was the insurgent. It could have been a lot worse. As bad as it was, could have been worse. Five have lost their lives. That's different. But you have to keep in mind, too, what makes it different? It's impossible to execute, and it doesn't help the country. People are letting off steam, but this is going to get other people steamed up. Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. Varney and Company coming up shortly, and then more of your calls in between. Daryl Strawberry is next.
10: Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News.
1: information you want truth you demand this is the Brian Kilmeade show
10: warming up their third pitcher well hit to left center field out of here Daryl strawberry's first major league home run oh strawberry right. goes to the opposite power alley with great authority it's a two run home run and now the Mets are out in front
2: seven to one hit. with the second and third
10: Major League RBIs, there's a happy young man right there.
2: That young man is Darryl Strawberry, the great hope of New York, who has been bad really since 1973 when Darryl Strawberry was, uh, uh, was drafted. They said this guy is going to be the ticket. When he finally came up, I believe in the end of 1984, you saw the promise. By 85, they were contending for the division. By 86, they were world champions, and it wouldn't have happened without my next guest, uh, Darryl Strawberry, who later me to go a free agent and go out to the Dodgers and then over to the Yankees. He's a former Major League Baseball All-Star many times over, borderline Hall of Famer. Uh, He wrote a book 10 years ago called Straw, talked about his baseball careers, the ups and downs. But this one is supposed to help you uh, with your life. It's called Turning Your Season Around. Darryl relates his personal story and what made him a success story uh, after the ups and downs, of course. Darryl Strawberry, welcome back.
14: Brian, thanks. I appreciate you. Thanks for having me on.
2: So this is how uh, into the Mets I was. I'm. I'm the, I don't have many hobbies. Uh, as a kid, I used to cut out headlines. I had the headline when you were drafted, and I think you weighed about 180 pounds and you were six six. You could be like the hat looked too big for you, uh, and they talked about the promise that you had, and of course the uh, the background that you had. Did you think you were going to become that type of player? Did you expect to become the type of player you were?
14: Uh, yes, I did. Of course. I mean, I expected that because, uh, you know, coming coming up and growing up in a, in a, in a broken situation uh, gave me a, a great deal of pain. And when I was in pain, I was hurting. So I used my pain uh, to make myself great and believe in myself as a young kid. And, and I knew that it was going to lead me into a baseball career because when I was about 13, 14 years old, I used to look at the television and watch the Dodgers and the Cincinnati Reds play, and I saw Pete Rose play, and I saw his uniform, and I said, man, this guy's a baseball player. I want to play baseball. It's exciting. So I started pushing myself and driving myself to uh, be the best at it because, you know, my father had rejected me and beat me and said I would never amount to anything. So I wanted to prove him wrong, so I went into – uh, focusing on baseball, and had all kind of coaches come along in my life, good coaches who saw my potential, and they helped me fulfill the promises over my potential and made me into a great baseball player.
2: So you played pro from 83 to 99, 17 major league seasons, 335 home runs, four world titles, and a lot of high-profile ups and downs. So your upbringing uh, in inner-city Los Angeles, anything but easy, What your dad, would you said, would beat you?
14: Yeah, my dad was a raging alcoholic, and, and he would come home, and, you know, any little infraction you did, he would uh, make you take your shirt off and lay across the bed, and he would beat you with an extension cord, and he had a lot of issues. Um, his dad was alcoholic, alcoholic uh, from finding out, and he did the same thing, watching his dad beat his mother in front of him, so he picked up those same behaviors. Uh, from his father, I mean, it just goes, trickles down from, you know, the family tree of what happens and what you see in the household. And um, that's what it was for me. And I I just went on from there to uh, push myself. And I had, like I said before, I had all these wonderful coaches come into my life who believed in me and helped me develop my skills to play Major League Baseball.
2: Uh, do you um, look back at that? Do you excuse it? How does that affect you? Uh, in Looking back, then how did it affect you? Did you blame yourself? Did you know it was all on him?
14: It affects you a lot, you know, because the scars are real, uh, the abuse is real, and no matter what you do and put on the uniform, and no matter how much success I was having, I always felt this emptiness on the inside because I never had a relationship with my father, and it was it was a hard feeling. Uh, I knew I was good, and I knew I was doing great things, but at the same time, you know, I would hit home runs and win championships, and I used to think, well, really, who am I? Uh, You know, I had this empty void on the inside that was missing piece of my life. Uh, like I think most kids go through some kind of way, some kind of trauma, abuse, rejection, and it leaves you empty on the inside. And I was no different, just because I was six six, strong, and could hit a ball at a ballpark and play major league baseball and run fast, steal bases, and do all the things that I was able to do. At the same time, when I took the uniform off, I was always, I always felt this emptiness on the inside.
2: Very interesting, uh, because you know, no one knew exactly what was going on, but I also knew that on Long Island. Uh, they were like Daryl Strawberry was at Sprats. Daryl Story was at Finn McCool's. You know they were out, and I just thought, okay, that's what players do. Having seen your dad abuse alcohol, how did that affect you? Did you originally try to stay away from it, knowing what it could what it could lead to?
14: I did. You know, I, I thought about it, and you know, I was troubled as a young kid, smoking marijuana at the age of fourteen and drinking Coke 45s already at the age of fourteen, and you know, getting to the big leagues. I remember my rookie year. Uh, getting to the big leagues at the age of 21. I I was already drinking, but I was introduced, you know, by a a veteran player on the back of the plane uh, to cocaine my first road trip and said, welcome to the big leagues. And when you're broken, you just want to fit in. You want to feel a part. And I just wanted to be a part of what these guys were all about. And that's how I broke into the major leagues. And I kind of broke in in all the wrong ways, you know. And I just remember the the fact that going – on that road trip and meeting the guys down in the bar and they took me out and took me to the bars where the girls were and the drinking. And I just thought, man, this is it. I've arrived. My father said I would never be anything. Here it is. You know, these guys love me and they, they, they accept me as who I am.
2: So you has this incredible success, top five players in the game. It's all in your book, turn your season around. But if you pick up this book, expecting for baseball stories, you kind of picked up the wrong book. But if you could maybe uh, have someone learn from what you learned from through those times, you did go in and out of rehab, high-profile situations. Why didn't that work?
14: Well, I, I think the rehab didn't work because I wasn't really ready. Um, I wasn't dealing with the real deep issues and things that you really have to de- uh, deal with, and and it was just so much fuss, you know, about the fact, you know, going to rehab and going into meetings and people making a big fuss strawberry strawberries got problems and people wanted autographs and pictures when I was at, at the meeting. So I, I really couldn't never find myself getting comfortable and getting well. And it, and it just didn't work. And it wasn't until, you know, I was uh, just at the bottom of, of my life, you know, down in South Florida using, using cocaine, smoking crack and shooting dope. And, and my girlfriend was Tracy at the time she came into my life and, and she would, be the one eventually grab a hold of me and say this man is sick he needs he needs help you know and everybody's looking at him for being a star and she came into my life and she would eventually lead me uh, back to the Lord and that's when things really started to change and move forward after all the drama and headlines and headaches I went through.
2: So at all the rehab, all the therapy, the thing that did it was religion.
14: Yes, it was it was my faith. She led me back to the Lord, and I sat in church for seven years and got discipled, went through the discipleship of learning who God was because Tracy was on the road with God. She had a relationship with him. She, she still does today. Uh, she used to get up every every back then. She'd get up at 5 o'clock, 5.30 in the morning with God. She's still doing that today, and I just wasn't doing those kind of things, and I, I watched her and learned that. Faith comes by operating. You have to get involved, and and it's just not overnight miracles. And when I went through that process and got discipled, then that's when my faith faith started to occur, because I started to know who God was, I started to know the principles, and I started living by them. And that's that's the big challenge for people, is can you live by them without going back to your old ways? Everybody thought I'd be going back to my old ways, but it's been 18 years. My former teammates and players thought, well, he'll be back. You know, he's um, talking about he found God. But I've been on this journey now, Brian, for 18 years, and I haven't looked back.
2: Well, believe me, most people who know you pull for you. So I hope you don't feel the negativity where people hoping you fall because I don't get that at all. One guy that you always credit is George Steinbrenner, right? At the end of your career, he said, I, w- I want this guy. He remembers how you uh, overshadowed the Yankees in the 80s. But when it came to the 90s and those great Yankee teams, you were very much a part of that.
14: I was, and you know, I was so frustrated forever grateful for the boss or, you know, just a kind hearted man. Um, just love people. He didn't, he didn't see people as, you know, problems. He see people with trouble that need help. And, and I was one of those particular people that he did help. And he did so many people like that. I'm forever grateful for him. And, you know, the Yankee family and, and how they treated me and treated my family and who I was and still to this day, um, they still treat me the same way. And, um, I just, you know, like I said, I, I, Can't say enough great things about a man that cares for people and the things that George did for, you know, things, uh, organizations down in Tampa, uh, the Boys and Girls Club, helping kids, you know, who didn't have anything. So, a great man, a great legacy uh, that he left for his family. uh for the Yankee organization.
2: I can't relate to your talent, but everybody can relate to the struggles you've been through, whether it's directly rehab or something else, but you came out the other side. That's why this book is your most important book. It's called Turn Your Season Around. Daryl Strawberry, thanks for writing it. Thanks for joining me.
14: Brian, thanks for having me. I appreciate you, my friend.
2: All right, go get him. When we come back, Stuart Vaughn
14: from the Fox News Podcasts Network.
10: Download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him. You love him. You want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.
1: Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney & Company with Stuart Varney. Live on your radio and on Fox Business, here's Brian Kilmeade.
2: Yeah, so it's always fun to go on FBN. You know, you can see us on Fox Nation all the time. Uh, so uh, so you can see that all the time. So we share networks. So we're going to share the radio audience. He's going to share his Fox Business audience as well as the Fox Nation audience and by the way, if you don't have Fox Nation, you got to get it. i got a brand new season coming out of What Made America Great. So let's listen.
15: It's 3, 2, 1. It is exactly 1051. You know what that means? That means Brian Kilmeade joins us. All right, Brian, good stuff for you today. I want your reaction to New York Governor Cuomo's what I think is a complete reversal on opening the economy. Bear with us, uh, Brian. I know you've seen this. For our viewers, roll tape one more
3: time. We simply cannot stay closed until the vaccine hits critical mass. The cost is too high. We must reopen the economy, but we must do it smartly and safely.
15: All right, Brian Kilmeade, have at it. That, to me, is a total reversal. That
2: is called Ron DeSantis in April. That is called President Trump in March. We'll close for three weeks. We'll open right back up. We got to open up our country. We got to open up our country. It didn't say go out and have a, a a keg party. It said do it responsibly. Been back and forth to Florida three times. Going to go again uh, shortly for another shoot. People walk around, but they're very smart about it. Yes, yeah, some people like colleges. That's a big challenge. But you know what it shows me, Stuart? He was never sincere about we need to. Sh- we have no choice but to shut everything down. It's for your own good. Shut everything down. I'm going to hire thousands of inspectors to haunt your establishment for the few places in New York that are actually opened up to make sure you're complying. So I am going to make sure you comply and I'm going to find hospital if you don't listen to me. But now all of a sudden he realizes I have to open up. He's about to get a handout from Joe Biden and he wants to open up at the same time. Think about this, Stuart. How different would New York City look right now if he was out there rolling up his sleeves in the spring and summer, asking Mr. and Mrs. Johnson at that deli or at that gym or the bodega and say, what do you need to open up? Can you put some plexiglass up here? What do your kitchen help? How are you spreading it out? What about your deliveries? Think about how calling up TD Bank and saying, what's it going to take to get your employees back? What if I provided some money for testing so you could do it every other day? Yeah. What if you staggered the way you came in? Think about how different we would look. That's what he's going to do now. And I would contend the reason he didn't do it is prompt concluding. My, my thoughts is because that was an election year, and the last thing he wanted was four more years of Donald Trump. That's an Anthony Fauci, right. too. Fauci blamed China last right. week. No right. kidding.
15: Right. And you know what Governor Cuomo really, really wants now? He wants a bailout from the taxpayers of Florida and Texas and the open-up states. He wants a bailout. And he wants the repeal of SALT, state and local tax deduction. He wants that to come back. That's what he wants, and that's what he's done. That's that's the, the main thing that they want, whether it's New York, New Jersey, Illinois, or California. The one thing they want more than anything else is taxpayer money from someplace else to bail them out of their problems.
2: And, and Stuart, think about this. The, when, the tax, uh, when, when, when the tax restructuring took place under Trump, one way in which you want to make up for the revenue is not to allow people right to write off their state taxes. So the highest taxes are in California, New York, and New Jersey. So if you're not writing them off, why are you staying? Why are you keeping your business here? But they needed revenue to replace the decrease in corporate uh, in corporate tax money and the decrease in middle and lower tax money that was coming in. So they said, okay, this is where the revenue is going to come from. Now he's writing checks on overdraft to people at $2,000 rather than push, him, uh, push out to make sure people needed it and may- maybe stand the economy up so we can work our way out of this. And then they're going to take away one uh, area of revenue stream by putting the salt tax back. But people are leaving anyway it's a miserable place to be now he has ruined this state and the stats don't lie more people are leaving New Jersey and New York than any other state in the union the only two reason Gavin Newsom yeah. has a reason to smile over the last two months he's losing a race he never wanted to contend for but he's losing a lot of people too
15: you got that right Brian as always thanks very much indeed All right, don't hold back okay, Brian, I, just I promise I back. Won't. next case
2: All right, Uh, let's go back to the phones. Robert, listen, WCHV in Charlottesville, Virginia. Hey, Robert.
16: Hey,
6: Brian, how you doing, sir? Good. Um, You know, one of the things, and I really appreciate it, and I know you're doing this, but uh, we've got to get people to understand that there was not voter fraud. I mean, not one person in charge of any of these elections didn't feel like it was anything but being totally secured. And I really feel bad for these people. I mean, they're going to lose their jobs. They're going to lose... Maybe go to jail because they really believe Trump and the voter fraud. And it's just it's it's ridiculous. It's a couple of
2: things, Robert. It's a couple of things. So you and I weren't there. I can't tell you what's going on in every county in Michigan or Georgia or uh, Arizona or, um, you know, any other contentious place, any of the 14 battleground states. I can't tell you but it's impossible to think in a state in a country that has 180 million people voting there isn't some type of fraud the question is does it amount to enough to turn over a state and they couldn't prove it but what people have to understand is the president thought just looked at it from a a, 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 poli, a non-political view Joe Biden didn't campaign. Joe Biden's got no message. Joe Biden is 10 years past his prime and his prime was never accepted or rallied around. Joe Biden walked away with 81 million votes. The president set a record 74 million votes despite getting the coronavirus, the pandemic, impeached and the Russian and the Mueller investigation. And he looked around and said, "My crowds were huge. He can't get 12 people into a parking lot. How does this happen?" But when his legal team told him it was fraud from state to state to state, in my humble opinion, he believed his legal team. And that's where I think the problem was. He's hey, don't worry, I got the proof, I got the proof, I got the proof. They never produced the dead people voting. They never produced the, uh, the, the, the canisters of fake votes or the vans full of fake ballots. So it the life is like that. Show me, don't tell me, prove it. Now, as of now, they can't prove it. The Russians never delivered 2016. Trump outworked and had a better message. And in 2020, Trump outworked and had a better message. And He can't figure out how he lost. Actually, either can I. But they can not say it's fraud. And they shouldn't have gone that far. But the president, even as late as yesterday, was telling Kevin McCarthy that. It's like anything else. Maybe life's not fair. But if you can't prove any different, you got to live with it.
8: Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts.
1: Live from the Fox News radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade.
2: Hi, everyone. I'm Brian Kilmeade. Welcome to the latest minutes of The Brian Kilmeade Show, coming to you from New York City, heard around the country, heard around the world. It's been a big hour already, big show already. Uh, The President of the United States spoke for the first time. We'll bring you back that conversation. He walked from Marine One to Air Force One en route to Texas, where he's going to be speaking uh, in front of the wall. He has every reason to be proud of what he's done on the wall and, and the border is just tremendous. It actually did exactly what he said. If you think about Mexico investing in their Marines on the southern border and allowing facilities, building facilities for the Remain in Mexico policy that sent the message to Central America, uh, hey, guys, stay where you are because as bad as your life is, it's not going to get any better because we have a system. You're not going to break it by running across for the most part. So I think he did great stuff there, and Joe Biden would be crazy to blow that up or stop building the wall or Beto O'Rourke style, take it down. Mark Thiessen standing by, Dan Henniger of the Wall Street Journal at the bottom of the hour, and of course you. And we'll have more to know this hour, too. So let's find out what the big three is.
1: Now with the stories you need Today. to know, it's Brian's Big Three.
3: Number three. We simply cannot stay closed until the vaccine hits critical mass. The cost is too high. We must reopen the economy, but we must do it smartly and safely.
2: There you go, Governor Andrew Cuomo. We can't wait for the vaccine. We have to get back to work. What does that sound like? I think it sounds like this guy named Donald Trump. And guess Try King Cuomo is now trying on Donald Trump's rhetoric. You know why? Because it's the right thing to do. And you know what he was doing for the last year? Playing politics because he didn't want Donald Trump to win. And if the economy roars back, he probably wins easily. He wanted to make sure it didn't happen. Think about the personal carnage that had to lose their lives and their livelihoods along the way.
4: Number two. Joe Biden should be excited about the fact that he's going to become the president next week and should have a positive message, but he is, he's a, he's a hypocrite. He says, oh, I want unity, but if you want to go forward with impeachment, you know, go ahead. Hmm.
2: Uh, Senator Rick Scott, the idiocy of impeachment part two. With days before he's gone, the House is moving forward with the pocket rocket impeachment on Wednesday. Who, by the way, uh, Trump did say to Ken McCarthy, I had a role in that my rally. Me getting them fired up had something to do with that. The question is, if Biden is truly making it his personal theme to bring America together, why would he green like this?
5: Number one. More than a dozen Fortune 500 companies have suspended all political donations. And at least one actually wants the money back from senators who claim that Joe Biden's election was a fraud.
2: Unbelievable. The high-tech and corporate chokehold put on conservative Republicans over the last 72 hours. It's massive, it's far-reaching, and a true threat to our two-party system in America. And it's not all about Trump. It's about stopping the Republican Party and conservatives. And it should bother everyone, because as we see with Hollywood, when the cancel culture gets started, they start canceling the Hollywood stars, too, who, by the way, started the whole thing. Joining us now is Mark Teeson. Mark, when you got out, I don't know exactly what you did when you left the Bush administration, but next thing I know, uh, you're a contributor here in writing uh, very respected columns in the Washington Post. The, uh, if Forbes has their way, not no former Trump employee will have gainful employment.
16: Oh, it's outrageous. I mean, look, the, the reality is lots of people, good people, went into this administration to accomplish good things, and they shouldn't be— uh, They shouldn't be uh, scapegoated for their association with the president, but at the same time, the president is the one who's making them radioactive by his behavior. I mean, his conduct, you know, I'll, I'll tell you what I did after the election Brian. First thing I did was call up John Fabro, who was Obama's chief speechwriter, and say, "Hey, I want to come, uh, I want to uh, get together for you for lunch. Talk to you about the speechwriting process. Show you how speechwriting in the, inside the White House works." I had him over. We had lunch at the White House mass I introduced him to the staff secretary. I introduced him to our team. We briefed him on how we edited his speeches, how it all worked. I invited his whole staff over to the White House for a West Wing tour. Um, and, and gave them my notes so that they, could, they had the inside stories on how the West Wing tours work. It was a – I didn't vote for Barack Obama. I, I went on and spent the next eight years criticizing most of what he did as president. I think he's one of the worst presidents in American history. But that's what you do when you lose – when, when, when an election is lost and the other team wins. And the president's going to the border today. He should have been doing that for the last six weeks. He should have been highlighting his accomplishments rather than telling his his supporters lies, which is that we lost that he that he won the election in a landslide and it's being stolen from them. Um, and so, you know, the president has betrayed his supporters. He betrayed the people who came into his team and worked for him, and who now have to deal with this crap. Excuse my language, because uh, because he's behaved so abominably in the last six six weeks.
2: Um. I think that also on on your uh, transition, I think Barack Obama wrote in his book that you just that, that that is the standard by all transitions should go by. Remember when Bill Clinton you know, when came? I got,
16: when I got to the White House, Brian, I opened up my. When I came over from to the White House, and I got to my desk, I pulled open the drawer, and you know what it said inside? It was carved in wood. Get out by the Clinton people who had been there. They were the ones who took the W's off the keyboards and left the whole White House strewn with pizza boxes and all the rest of it. And we were, President Bush was determined that we were not going to behave that way. Um, and we were, and, and it started at the top. I was just following the lead of my commander-in-chief and uh, and unfortunately this commander-in-chief has, has not uh, conducted himself with with that kind of dignity.
2: And, you know, it's hard to really dispute anything you said. And I said since November 3rd, uh, with the fifth, let's say, when it became clear that uh, Joe Biden was going to win, uh, how the president handled those next few months, it could have been a series of reflective interviews, uh, transition and trying to be the next Grover Cleveland. And I know you talked to him. Yeah, I exactly. know you talked to him about it. But I, I would say this.
12: Just, I, conversation,
2: I
16: think, not i just, conversation, not just on the, uh, the column. I spoke to him on the phone about it. I talked to him about it. I told him this is what he ought to do. And he just didn't listen.
2: So a couple of things. The only thing I would factor in different is, number one, he's, he's like no other person you're ever going to meet in your life. Number two is he was feeling as though this administration, and Joe Biden in particular, was out to, to screw up his four years, never fully accepted it. He truly believes, and I think it goes to show he was spied on. The FBI went after him, and then he had the Mueller report to the—he uh, to he feels as though that party was the one who started the impeachment mess and the pandemic and the criticism— That led to all this. So there was some there was some embedded anger from Joe Biden specifically. Plus, he just doesn't believe to the fiber of his being that he lost because he looked at Joe Biden, that terrible campaign, the horrible message and thought, how did he get more votes than Barack Obama and me?
16: You know what, Brian, I, I agree with everything you said. Um, I think that he was treated enormously unfairly. Uh, I think that the, you know, the, from the first day, they started out with a resistance and said, not my president, right? Um, and, and, uh, and, it, and it was unrelenting and nonstop. But you know, the problem is he helped them. He helped them by his behavior. He helped them by, by, by you know, during the, the height of the pandemic, getting into arguments with reporters in the briefing room when people were frightened and looking for information. He helped them with that first debate. Uh, you know, and the reality is there was a, there was a Gallup poll. You know, I do my columns every year for the last four years. I've done the ten best things and ten worst things that Donald Trump did. So I've got a collection of, and I supported him for re-election. I voted for him. I wanted him to get a second term.
2: Oh, well, he likes but,
16: you. Yeah, we we had we had we had a great relationship. Um, but but there, and you know, we would talk regularly over the past year. Um, and I visited with him in the Oval Office many times. And you know, but the reality is, and I told him after I had a conversation right after the election, he called me and he started giving me numbers about how the election was stolen in georgia and all the rest of it And i said mr president i've got to tell you the reason you lost is because of that first debate um if you had had two debates like the second debate you'd be planning your second term right now you you alienated. you lost not because of fraud you lost because you alienated millions of americans who liked your policies but didn't like your behavior and he's like really and i said yeah really the 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 truth is that he had 50, right before the election, Gallup poll, 56% of the American people said they're better off now than they were four years ago. A record. No president in the, in the history of Gallup polling has had a higher, a higher approval of better off now than you were four years ago. It is a crime that a president could lose an election with that kind of number behind him. And it was because of his behavior and his inability to be presidential when he, when he needed to be that he alienated people. He he mocked Joe Biden's senility which and he as a result of that he lost he went down 5 points with seniors in Arizona. If he had kept that up he would have won Arizona. He went down by with seniors by 10 points in Georgia. OK, he, he alienated suburban voters. And, you know, we need to learn he needs to learn and we need to learn why he lost, because if we don't learn the lesson, we're not going to fix it. You know, the, 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 that this was a winnable election that he lost. And then he spent six weeks complaining and 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 contesting and and lying about it. And as a result, he took his eye off the ball in Georgia. And we now have a Democratic center. that is going to be a rubber stamp. For Ocasio-Cortez and Sanders and Warren, it is criminal what he did by losing that Senate race, Which again, those Senate races, which again was winnable because he was too focused on January 6th instead of January 5th. And then on January 6th, he incited a mob that went and, and stormed the Capitol. He didn't intend for them to do it, but if he hadn't done what he had done, they would have ne- it would have never happened. And so I'm furious with him because I feel betrayed by him as somebody who supported him. Uh, that he's conducted himself in this way and discredited himself and all of us uh, who supported him.
2: So over the last, uh, having said over the last uh, Friday, since Friday, I am so dis Everything you said, I, I really can't contend with. Because I did talk to him after on the phone, and I was, I think I'm the only one to have the interview face to face with him up until that would happen, I guess, a half hour ago since the election. And he's furious. I will say this his anger is sincere, it's not made up. People say, well, he hasn't snowed himself. I think that he's uh, s- uh, surrounded himself with. With legal people that keep telling them that we're gonna prove that this fraud happened. Keep fighting, keep yeah. fighting. In fact, Rudy Giuliani was trying to get, reportedly, the vice president to just delay the electoral confirmation because he had information that was coming. I mean, so if you have a guy that you implicitly trust telling you this information's coming, you're like, okay, Mr. Vice President, hold off. You can't? Yeah. How dare you? You're being disloyal. He's like, no, I'm not. This is what you do when you're vice president. You think Joe Biden liked welcoming Donald Trump? No. But he did no, four years
16: ago. But the president shut out everyone who was willing to tell him the truth and surrounded himself with psychophants and enablers and people who were feeding him or enabling his pension for conspiracy theories. And the fact that he publicly basically threatened Joe Biden—sorry, uh, publicly threatened Vice President Pence and made and told a crowd— that Pence was, good, was either going to disappoint us or not, and then tweeted out in the middle of the riot, tweeted out how Mike Pence had betrayed him, and didn't pick up the phone and call him and say, are you okay, and then didn't speak to him for days, is just abominable. It's just abominable. And we, you know, the truth is, I know that Trump supporters are upset, and I get that the social media companies and everybody's piling on and Pelosi is politicizing this and all the rest of it. But the reality is our, his supporters need to understand Donald Trump lied to you. Donald Trump betrayed you by lying to you, creating an expectation that this could be turned around in some way. But, uh, and, and, but I have
2: to amend you there, Mark. I, I don't believe that he thought he was lying to you. He thought it was robbed, and he thought that his legal team was going to produce the facts.
6: Yeah. You don't think you know
16: so? what? He surrounded himself. I, I, I agree with – Okay. He he didn't knowingly lie. He 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 did not. He was in such deep denial that he wouldn't listen to anybody who was telling them the truth. Because I told him you lost. <laughs> Lots of people were willing to tell him that he lost. And the reality is, it's a tragedy because one, you know, he I've, as I've documented, he's, he if you just look at his list of accomplishments, it's one of the great conservative presidencies of uh, of, our, of my lifetime. And the and he was he was truly viable. To win this presidency back in, in four years time, I don't think he is. I don't think he deserves to win, reelect uh, to be reelected or to run again um, after his conduct in the last few weeks. Um, and he's he's destroyed his legacy. Uh, he's given uh, people his political enemies ammunition to to besmirch his record and by extension all of us. Who who backed him and worked okay. with him and tried to help him, um, and I, I just I, I feel betrayed. I know and I, I hear think you. Every Trump supporter I, I should feel betrayed.
2: I hear you, but you're in the middle of the hurricane now. Uh, we need a couple of months, <laughs> and I'm going to talk to you again, Mark, and we'll see. All right, we'll see how he handles it. But you're not done yet. I, I I'm All right. really concerned. Uh, this impeachment is the as a typical overreach by politicians who only care about politics and not the country, in my view. And this parlor being this why. parlor takedown, and this. Forever banning the president from Twitter and Facebook, even as Angela Merkel and, and Emmanuel Macron upset, is Mark Thiessen agreeing with me on any of the things I just brought up?
16: You, I am. I'm agreeing with you that as those Pelosi, for example, she said Trump is so dangerous that we can't get through the next few days with 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 him in office. Yet, instead of calling the House back the day after the after the riot. And passing articles of impeachment and sending them right to the Senate, she's she's passing them on Wednesday, a week after the riot, and then waiting until after the election. So what's the threat? You know, it's just it's it's political. But but Brian, what he did was an impeachable offense. That doesn't mean we should impeach him, um, but we don't have. A, but he doesn't have a moral high ground to stand on. The the if the if he was uh, going to serve for nine months instead of nine more days, I think it would be unquestionable that he should be impeached for what he did. But. He's right. leaving. It's divisive. It's not what our country needs right now. We need to get past this and recover. And so I don't think mm. it's helpful. And they're trying and they're trying to jam up Republicans and make them vote against Trump, uh, so they can hurt them in the election. And and it's a you know I, I, their their motives are political.
2: Yeah, you know? I'm telling you, Mark. They're coming for Mark Thiessen next. They're coming for Fox next. <laughs> they're coming for they're coming from the Federalists next because they're not going to like what's saying. They have corporate well, America, well, big tech. Would you say?
16: Trump gave them our position, gave away our position. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in a foxhole with you, Brian, but Trump told
6: them what our <laughs> coordinates are.
2: <laughs> yeah, Mark, you're, you're not going to be laughing when they're coming for you. they going to if they get teas and they can get anybody.
6: We're, I've I'm, always said I'm, that. I'm against censorship.
16: I'm against cancel culture, um, but but I think we also need to be honest uh, and 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 lay the blame for. He's given them the pretext. He, this is the story of the Trump presidency. He always gives them the pretext. To do what they to do what they to follow their worst instincts and do things that are unfair by his behavior and it's, this is just the biggest version of it.
2: Uh, Mark Tyson always uh, telling it like it is. Appreciate it, Mark. Thank you. Thanks, Brian. You got it. Uh, Wall Street Journal's Dan Henniger next, but uh, on the phones you 1-866-408-7669.
1: Holding our politicians feet to the fire, no matter who they are. That's Brian Kilmeade new from the fox news podcasts network
11: my name is kennedy and welcome to my podcast which will i humbly say single-handedly save the world you're
10: welcome it's kennedy saves the world subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.
1: from his mouth to, to your ears it's brian kilmeade
2: hey welcome back everybody howard's uh, listening on coil in nebraska omaha nebraska hey howard
6: Hey, Brian, what if Trump was to follow the Nixon model, call their bluff, resign to promote healing, admit no wrong, note accomplishments, then Pence pardons and Trump gets a chance to rebuild his legacy?
2: I'm not sure that will ever work. I don't think that Nixon was effectively rebuilding his legacy to run again. See, would Trump wants to run again, there's no question. And Nixon was never going to be able to run again. He was a quiet advisor to every Democrat and Republican president afterwards, but Trump's not in that place. But listen, his dismount from November 3rd is the problem. But his report card is going to look better and better as we move away from it. I think the storm has just got to calm down for a while, Howard. And I think if you do something like that, it's just going to make it look like you're guilty. And he does not feel like he's guilty. They're not going to be able to impeach him. And if they try to do something, once he's out of office, there'll be absolutely no stomach for it. My goodness, we're in the middle of a pandemic uh, we're in a global crisis. I cannot see in 100 days people saying, oh, that Trump story, let's bring that back. But uh, it's just strategic thinking, and it's solid, Howard. Thanks so much for adding to the show. Dan Henniger joins us. The Wall Street Journal says the president should not be impeached. And more, he's the deputy editor of the Wall Street Journal editorial page. He joins us next. Does he feel like the Wall Street Journal's under attack from big tech? We'll talk about it.
10: With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News Podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. A
1: talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show.
4: We've talked about for for the whole three years of the Russian investigation, we said, you know, if they can do it to a president, imagine what they can do to you and I. Well, now it's transformed into if they can cancel a president— With the second impeachment and what they've done to the president with the social media platforms, if they can cancel a president, imagine what they can do to the 75 million people who supported President Trump in this election. That's what's so dangerous. So yeah, there's the in-kind concern, the political concern, but I'm more concerned just about the First Amendment, which you highlighted and been talking about. That's what really scares me.
2: Uh, and there you go. That is Jim Jordan talking about the cancellation of uh, the president's account on Twitter, on Facebook, uh, how they've been clamped down on with all these uh, corporations, anybody to do with the Trump administration. And now when he went over to Parler, they destroyed Parler, and they're trying to work their way back. Amazon, Apple, uh, combined forces to make that happen, and Google. Uh, joining us now is Dan Henninger of The Wall Street Journal. Dan, as we're looking at what happened at President Trump, I see a bigger picture. I say if they're going to go after President Trump, What's going to stop them from going after the Wall Street Journal, especially the editorial page where you where your deputy editor?
6: Uh, nothing is really going to stop them from attempting it, uh, Brian. And uh, frankly, it would not surprise me at all if they moved in that direction. Uh, you know, we, this has been going on for years. I've been wondering the same thing. Uh, it started back in the universities not that long ago. Uh, Speech codes were the beginning, and then the speech codes expanded to uh, pushing conservative speakers uh, off of platforms. We remember that, uh, simply not allowing uh, conservatives like Charles Murray, the famous Charles Murray event. Uh, Heather McDonald ran into the same sorts of problems, and uh, we would all write about those things. But it just got bigger, and it expanded to cancel culture on the campuses. They moved Actually, they moved away from conservatives and started uh, canceling traditional liberals at places like Yale. Uh, Now we're fast forwarding to this and uh, moving from the universities into both politics and indeed into corporate life, where you have corporations like these tech companies, Amazon and Google, not merely their leadership, but uh, agitation from their employees or at least some of their employees to shut people up. And uh, since they control so many of these platforms, uh, it is looking more and more like a very real threat. They will come. And then the left is organized, as we know on this, Brian. The right, you know, we argue principles, we argue free speech, but the left has a game plan. As I say, it started back with the universities and now it is rolling forward into uh, the media and private
15: businesses.
2: Well, now Republicans got to look out. They're not going to be getting money, it doesn't seem, for, for, they say, for political donations of Republicans who challenged the election results. So over 100 in the House, and Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz led the charge in the Senate. There was about 12, Airbnb, uh, Google, Amazon, American Airlines, American Express, Archer, AT&T, uh, and it, I, I could be here. Is like at least forty on this list, from Mastercard to Microsoft to Smithfield Foods to UPS to Verizon, major companies said we're just not going to give money to you guys anymore. and to the party.
6: Yeah, and um, I have to say, I think some of the some of the companies, the like the tech companies, Silicon Valley, it's expectable. I'm a little surprised at some of these others. Um, I think they're caught up in the emotion of the moment, but they've taken leave of their political senses. What goes around comes around. Uh, It is possible with Nancy Pelosi's very slim majority in the House that the Republicans could regain control of the House, and there will be payback for that sort of thing. I mean, these corporations call their... uh, fundraising organizations, PACs, political action committees, but really what the P stands for is protection, protection action committees. What they normally do is give money to both parties simply to protect themselves from politics. But this goes beyond that, and uh, I think it's really quite politically obtuse on the part of some of these corporations to defund Republicans the way they're doing, because uh, this will these emotions will die down eventually. It's hard to imagine that at the moment. But two years, three years out, uh, we'll be back to a little less hotter emotional climate than we're in now. And I think some of these companies could end up paying a price for these uh, defundings that are going on.
2: I, I hope so, because it's so ridiculous in one sided It's not even close, it's not even worthy of a debate. I mean, when Twitter is putting emojis, kind of mocking that parlor went from number one seller on the uh, at the Apple App Store to destroy, and there's no doubt in what they were colluded to do so by Google, by Apple and Amazon. Here's what John Hinderacker said. He's with the center of the American experiment. Here's what they could do, Republicans. Cut 13.
4: We do have remedies here. You know, if if these companies are suppressing conservative speech at the behest of Democratic Party politicians— or in hopes of getting favorable antitrust treatment, we can do something about that. The courts can do something. And if these oligarchs are conspiring together to try to crush a company like Parler, that is a plain violation of Section 1 of the Sherman Act. And again, uh, there's a remedy for that.
2: So, I mean, do you think they could have success in the courts? Because some have, have thought about this and said, these big companies just wear you out. And where's Parler getting the money to get the high-priced lawyers, who, by the way, left as soon as, these, uh, as soon as the app was brought down? These guys were pressured to leave, so they left, just like they left the Trump team as they try to fight for this election. So do you think people, and there's people out there with a the wherewithal to fight these companies?
6: I do. I do think, certainly, you know, look at all the money that uh, Trump raised for his campaign. I mean, Republican campaign uh, fundraising is still real. And uh, if it got to that point, yeah, I think Parler could probably find the funding to prosecute a lawsuit. Uh, whether the appropriate vehicle is antitrust or not, I'm not so sure. That's very complicated. But I think the related issue that uh, with which they could have some success is the matter of free speech and uh, filing those through the courts, mainly because of the success that uh, Donald Trump and Mitch McConnell had, uh, uh, confirming so many judges and so many appeals court judges, uh, who are not only conservative, I mean, let's, you know, there's that partisan side of it. But the fact is, most of these judges really, truly believe in the idea of First Amendment rights and free speech. And clearly what's going on here is violative or suppressive of those free speech rights. And I think if they were to start pushing cases into the U.S. court system as now constituted, and especially the Supreme Court as well, uh, we could see some significant legal decisions uh, going against the uh, kinds of incursions that uh, seem to be uh, basically epidemic at this moment.
2: It just worries me. And we're talking with uh, Dan Henniger because you know the media outlets, like never before, are anti-Republican and really anti-Trump. They'll only put Republicans on if they're anti-Trump, except for Rick Santorum, who fights the good fight, and maybe a handful. Everybody else has just basically given in and said Trump's the worst, another Lincoln Project type mindset. And then you look, big tech is all anti-Trump. And then you look at the fact that, you know, outlets like yours and ours, and, you know, when you're on both, I mean, I'll criticize the president, but I also saw a lot of successes. So if you criticize the president even a little bit, it joins with 85% of the mass media and social media. You wonder if this country can ever find its equilibrium again. Do you worry about that?
6: I do worry about that, about getting back to equilibrium. That's a perfect word, Brian, uh, is to try to restore that. Uh, again, the left- has a strategy. They don't care about equilibrium. And if I may say specifically, since you just raised it, the issue of uh, the Wall Street Journal editorial page and Fox News, uh, I'm sure you find the same thing. But we get criticized all the time and sometimes by conservatives or Republicans who are very anti-Trump. And you know what's always clear? They don't read the editorial page every day. They don't know what we've been writing every day about Trump. We have been extraordinarily critical when he deserved to be criticized. We have been supportive when he deserved to be supported. And as you know, as a participant in Fox News, that is essentially what goes on uh, most of the day there as well. As you know well, they just sort of flying off the tops of their heads, and the rest of the media picks it up and runs with it and keeps. Purveying this basically false narrative about uh, what we do,
2: Dan. Do you uh, were you part of the editorial team that said the president should resign?
6: I was part of the editorial team that discussed that for sure. I mean, we have conversations uh, on our staff, and we debate them internally. You know, whether impeachment is proper, whether resignation was proper, or whether just letting Trump go away after uh, January twentieth was appropriate. Um, so yeah, we do have those conversations. It is an editorial board for sure.
2: Was that the Wall Street Journal's decision? That, that was that your that, was that the, the editorial page decision?
6: Yeah, it was an editorial board decision to. Uh, oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, in, in, independent of other outs any outside forces. Let me assure you, uh was yeah. made by those of us who write these editorials.
2: So now that you um, you see that he's got six days left. And they're going to go full force into this impeachment. The House is going over rules today and tomorrow they have the vote. And it's going to be a simple majority. It's going to be there. Joe Biden's inauguration theme is America united. If he is truly wants to be an effective leader, don't you believe? And if not, that's fine. If you want to lead. The first thing I would say is stand down, censure something else, stand down. I need people confirmed. I got a pandemic. I got to get vaccines in arms. I got to get our economy up city by city, county by county, town by town. I got China breathing down my neck. I have Europe cutting a trade deal with China while we sit down idly by. I cannot afford to go through an impeachment of a president that's at Mar-a-Lago. Don't you believe that would be leadership?
6: I think that would indeed be leadership that uh, we have made. We made that argument today uh, in an editorial in the Wall Street Journal that um, it is in Joe Biden's own political interest to get past this, to tell the forces on the left to stand down. Um, And, you know, you raise an interesting question here, Brian. Uh, He has big problems with China. China has obviously become extraordinarily aggressive. And it looks as though Joe Biden is worried about pressure from Nancy Pelosi specifically. Uh, Chuck Schumer has been kind of quiet, but Nancy Pelosi specifically, and he won't stand up to the left wing of his own party. And if he won't stand up to them and uh, goes allows this to go forward, this impeachment that does political damage to his agenda, what are they thinking in places like Moscow? and Beijing and uh, Pyongyang about this, the uh, sturdiness of uh, the new president of the United States. Uh, I really, I don't understand. I think he has to at some point push back against what's going on down there.
2: Listen, he's 78 years old. And, you know, he's probably a one-term guy in the best scenario. go. What do you have to lose? Why, why not go down in history and be a leader? Joe Manton showed some indications he is. I think America mm-hmm. could use some compromise In some leadership and less party politics. Uh, Dan, can't thank you enough.
14: Great
6: to talk to you, Brian.
2: Same here. Uh, When we come back, take your calls, and find out if there's indeed more to
1: know. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade.
2: Hey, welcome back, everyone. Uh, This is Brian Kilmeade. We're just going to wrap up this hour. Beyond the Five tonight... I'll be playing myself. I'll be in Stuart Barney's studio. They're not in the same set, which is disappointing. But it's going to be fun, so please watch. Uh, And, of course, keep listening to this show because I have a sense there's even more to
1: know. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-GOLD. There you go. This
2: is a little bit of how, how it sounded as Alabama beat up on Ohio State in the national championship game.
10: In a season of chaos, the crimson tide of the conference. Constant excellence. Bama bludgeons the buckeyes, and Saban steps past Paul Bryant with his seventh national championship.
2: Yeah, it was pretty unbelievable. Nick Saban actually did smile. Uh, they won. He says, I give myself a day after a national title. Then he starts wearing again. They dominate Ohio State 52-24. They're 13-0. Ohio State only played six or seven games. But I just give salute everybody for playing. I have tremendous respect for uh, Trevor Lawrence uh, and Justin Fields for going to bat as the biggest names in college football and saying we have to play. And, of course, the President of the United States for making it happen. This just this was uh, This was a good game for a quarter and a
12: half.
17: And then just Alabama could not be stopped. They were on fire. I'll tell you what the big story about is breaking or surpassing Bryant. to as Bryant. You remember when we had Joe Namath in uh, before, right before the pandemic and how inspirational Bryant was in, in, in his career. And it's, I mean that's an icon that he passed. I mean he, I mean think about that seven national championships now.
2: Right. uh, Next. Uh, Here's something I'm not looking forward to. HBO Max has given a series order to, and just like that is the name of it, reuniting Sarah Jessica Parker, Cynthia Nixon, and Kristen Davis. But no Kim Cattrall. It's kind of like Sex and the City Revisited. Uh, The executive producer, uh, Michael Patrick King, the Max original series, is based on the book Sex and the City by Candace Bushnell. Uh, So Cattrall has made no secret of a disclination to... Uh, disinclined to reprise her role as Samantha Quote, I played that part Past his finish line The 10 episode half hour series is scheduled to begin Production in New York late spring oh, I mean is this is this the time For people to be I mean are they going to acknowledge That everything's boarded up and nobody lives here Is that going to make a boring boredom, uh, Boring series There's no cocktail oh. parties
3: Oh Brian it's a TV show I mean they can take a little bit of creative Liberty here
2: why not well, bring back the odd couple? What about Tony Randall and Jack Klugman? That would have been you great. You could bring
3: them all back. You could bring them all back. It
2: would have been great. How many people left from Happy Days? Still have Potsy. Still have Ralph. You still have Ron Howard, right? You still have Arthur Fonzarelli. You don't have Mr. You, C, you, though. You don't He's have a, the Bosley's. But I, could,
17: I could write them out. No problem. You know, Mrs. C is still alive, though, so because, you can have Mrs. C.
3: Right.
2: There's nobody living at home. You don't want Joni, right? Joni, uh sad. She, she passed sad. away, yeah. Right. But Chachi's still
17: around. I could get that cast back together. Would Shachi go back with the cast because they were at odds? What else the- is he doing? What else could he be doing? The odd couple might be a little bit tougher because you'd have to use holograms, I guess. Right. Next,
2: Jeopardy's guest host Ken Jennings chokes up as he hosts. He's the best ever, by the way. But he hosts for Alex Trebek, who passed away at the age of 80, hosting his last show 10 days before he passed away.
12: Here is the guest host of Jeopardy, Ken
3: Thank you, Johnny Gilbert. Thank you, everyone. Welcome to Jeopardy. You know, sharing this stage with Alex Trebek was one of the greatest honors of my life. Not many things in life are perfect, but Alex did this job pretty much perfectly for more than 36 years, and it was even better up close. We were dazzled by his intelligence, his charm, his grace. Really,
2: I just can't believe he, he as a game show host, I've never seen anyone more missed, more respected. Uh, more lauded than Alex Trebek,
17: right? He was the best. Here's my question. I'm sorry, go ahead, Allison.
3: No, go ahead, What's your question?
17: I want to know, Brian, you could host one game show growing up. Not now, but when you were growing up, what would be the game show you would love to have hosted once growing up? Beat the clock. I can't remember a thing about it,
2: but I remember watching it every day at 7 o'clock before Action News at 11. On Channel 11
17: only thing I know about that game show, I know that they on an episode of the Honeymooners, they were on Beat the Clock, him right.
2: and Gordon. Right, right. <laughs> I saw that. I also thought match game, but Alec Baldwin ruined it for me. Uh, real quick, the Eagles have fired their coach, Doug Peterson. Uh, he was a backup quarterback his entire career. He won a championship Super Bowl three years ago. But I've never seen a guy tank his team so obviously as the Eagles when they went out of their way to lose to Washington. So he's gone. He could end up with the Jets because his former general manager is now running the Jets, and the Jets need a coach. Thanks for listening Brian Kilmeade Show. See you on The Five.